Okay, thank you. So we'll be back to um, um, Zenju, Earthlin Manuel. Um, I was listening to some of her talks, and uh, there was one where she was asking a question. I was kind of suspecting that it was an old, profound, ancient Zen question, you know, but I couldn't tell. She was just seemed very like a genuine question uh, for her, so it could very well have been. But there was a, a sense of something, you know. Uh, almost like traditional inquiry. And the question that uh, she was um, asking was um, something like, uh, how do you um, make certain the uncertain? How do you organize uh, uncertainty? How do you, I don't know if you can recognize something in your life, like how it seems to me there's a kind of a shock between how I live my life in the first part of the question and how life is in the other part of the question. <laughs> like how, you know, how, or is it worth spending so much time organizing or is it possible to really strategize or organize or manage or you know, the uncertain. And, uh, yeah, I, I was very touched by the question. It's, to me, it's asking me or showing me how maybe I live my life a lot of the time, trying to organize, prepare, plan, uh, fix things before they happen and stuff, and, and uh, the kind of... Um, almost funny thing about it <laughs> or, or, or touching the, you know, delusional aspect of, of the way I go about things. I say I just to not impose anything on anybody, but you can join in if, <laughs> if you recognize uh, this. And so how to make sure the unsure, you know, and uh, and the contrast with meditation, like so, how I would maybe habitually live my life, and the contrast with uh, the practice of meditation, where we actually turn towards life and and just practice. It's a practice. Practice being with it in its own terms. You know, sometimes it's pleasant. So instead of trying to organize pleasant, oh my God, it's great, I got it. So now I'm always going to proceed like this in meditation because you know, or it's fun. Whatever is happening, it tastes good. Let's me let me get the recipe, you know, like just uh, with the meditative mind or or uh, uh, attitude, we're invited to actually experience, feel, rather than strategize around pleasant or unpleasant. This has to stop. I need to, you know. And so here we say, like we sit and like, wow, heartache, pain in the knee pain in the butt. <laughs> and we sit in the middle of that, in the middle of loss, in the middle of uh, disappointment, when it's 
there, you know, as well as in the middle of calm and joy and awe when it's there. But we don't try to go from one to the other. We just allow something to be just as it is, and we see with that what is possible, how, I think it's, again, Zenju uh, talks about how blooming can happen when we give attention, when we allow things to be in and where the, maybe where the blessings might come from that we didn't expect, you know. She tells us uh, her uh, personal story of hers. She said uh, that um, maybe recently before the talk, she, had, uh, she was homeless for a little while. And uh, that because there was some mold in the house where she lived and she suddenly had to move out and she was homeless. And she said, spending a lifetime trying to avoid being homeless, you know? Like even unconsciously and consciously maybe sometimes and unconsciously a lot of the time, you know? Not having that, you know? So all this strategizing and organizing in order to you know, out of fear of, you know, bad situation, discomfort, uh, or humiliation, you know, I was not on top of things, you know, or, uh, and so all these fears, uh, uh, and suddenly there is this, you know, she said, suddenly homeless, you know, and uh, she's saying in the talk that she's been homeless a few times before in the past, different situations, and that's it's always been painful and uh, aggravating and stressful and and she said uh, describing this time she was saying something about like turning towards reality and allowing it to be as it was and how actually this was so beautiful the way that people came to help and the different aspects of it of letting go you know so I, here i am with a few clothes you know and this is it you know i don't have all my things and finding out that actually it can be okay. You know? uh, that the imagery she uses is falling uh, in off of the cliff and in in the in the ditch, you know. And how there, at that lowest point, you know, there can be suddenly quiet and ground that is uh, found. Oh yeah, the question saying ground reminds me. The question is how to s- make, s- organize, or make certain the gro- what has in its nature to be groundless. You know, groundless. Ah, this is, you know, even mentioning it is a little bit going against all of our inner movements, you know. Don't talk, do not talk about this, the groundlessness of reality, you know, that there will be, Disease, there will be separation, there will be lack of control. Do not mention that. I work very hard. <laughs> I, you know, I entertain myself a lot so I don't think about it, <laughs> you know, and I plan a lot so I don't have to face it. And, and so don't bring this back. And that's spiritual work, you know, is to say, yeah, that's how it is. Groundless, uncertain, we'd say, uh, a John. Uh, Cha, uncertain. Life is uncertain. We have no idea what uh, what is coming. And so here we turns and we turn in a way towards that. And the, the beauty in that is that this. How amazing is that? This is the birth 
well, maybe for some of us, it's the birth of anxiety. <laughs> like, hearing this, it would make sense. But also, it could be the birth of tenderness, of compassion, of care, maybe of joy even. Because suddenly we're aligned with reality. We're not telling lies and trying to avert, is that the word, or uh, avoid, or uh, uh, divert the attention. You know, we're turning towards life, which is the movement of meditation, tor turning towards it and say, okay, this is how it is, I don't have control. Let's not pretend for a few moments, you know, and just allow things that are there to be there. I was uh, talking to a friend of mine uh, this uh, week. I was going to say a young woman, but I, I think she's not that young anymore. I mean, she's younger than me, for sure, but uh, she, she's, she's an adult now. She <laughs> you know, she's, she's a full-blown adult. She's in her 40s. Uh, but um, I've known her for many years, and... Uh, I was actually, uh, I did, you know, I did four years of teacher training to become a teacher am amongst many things that I've done. This, there was these four years of training. And so this friend was part of this four years of training. And in this four years of training, we were pretty, uh, it was demanding. There was a lot happening, a lot of learning, a lot of, uh, you know, um, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, apprenticeship. And, uh, and in the middle of that, she decided that she would do... Um, all her schooling um, and everything in, uh, involved in becoming a, a psychologist. And that was, a, she was in California. She's a German. She was in California. And so in the middle of our um, the training, the four-year training, she put all these hours into school and uh, work and all of these things together. And I don't know if it's the same here or anywhere else, but I know in California, I think there was like a five thousand hours she had to put at the end of uh, kind of being mentored and working with uh, youth uh, counseling to actually get the hours and then there was maybe another two thousand hours of something else I couldn't believe the effort she was uh, putting into this and you know no money living in she was living in uh, a transformed uh, garage uh, in the back of a house you know that she called the nook and it was, uh, and there was no toilet. She had to go to the main house to go to the bathroom, and and um, and but very, very. Uh, she had a lot of vi kind of vision and, and integrity, mm -hmm. and uh, so at the end of all this, she gets her certificate. And then one day I talked to her after a few months. She's like, Pascal, I finally got the degree. I found a place. I have my own practice, so my room and my clients, and now it's all organized the first time of my life I'm actually making a little money I can go to the restaurant I love my job I love the relationships I have with my clients and uh, and it's all like forming and you know in the morning I do this and then I go to work and then you know and she had the life that seemed like she was starting to rejoice just a few months she started to she said oh and I'm taking uh, Sanskrit uh, classes now and in the context of a non-dual Vedanta, uh, maybe Vedanta teachings, in uh, there in uh, Oakland, where she was in the Bay Area in, in California, and so that's it. And I talked to her a few months after again. I'm like, "Hey, how, how's it going?" And she said, "You don't know what happened. Uncertainty. 
There's the uncertainty of like suddenly being homeless. It's unchosen. But look at this particular kind of uncertainty. She says, I'm going to my Sanskrit class. I'm just in the hallway there, removing my shoes to go in. Two women are talking outside of the of the of the of the room, you know. And they're talking about a retreat, uh, a three-year three retreat that is happening in the south of India. And I'm just untying my shoes, and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, my God. This is where I'm going. And she was, it was such a strange thing, you know. And, and, uh, and her, I think the way I know her, having a lot of integrity, she didn't pass that, you know. She didn't like, no, I have my life, you know, I'm organized my life. She's like, So you know what I did, Pascal, is I actually booked a plane ticket and I went for like three days to the south of India to check out the place because I thought, you know, I know I'm going there and everything, but I should still check it out, you know. So I did. I checked out the place and the teacher and the sense was the same. It was like, this is what I'm going to do. So she said, I'm undoing my practice, you know. I'm undoing, I'm letting go of everything because it seems like it's, this is what I have to do. And so I talked to her again. Uh, I mean, I've talked to her a few times since, but uh, maybe last week I was talking to her. And so that's four years ago that she started there. So she finished uh, almost a year ago or three years of retreat in the south of India. And at some point, a year in, her teacher dies. Talk about uncertainty, you know. So I talked to her again. It's like... Yeah, he died. <laughs> But I think I'm going to stay here. You're not going to continue doing this. And then she moved to uh, outside of the ashram in the elderly's, uh, elderly's place because it was kind of cheap and there, there was the conditions were kind of right. She wanted to be outside of the... And she uh, was saying, But I go to the, the, the monastery ashram every day. I can't actually walk there. It's like, it would be like 20 minute walk, it would be lovely, but there's uh, elephants and uh, wild elephants and it's very dangerous, so I have to take a taxi. So every time I go back and forth from the elderly's home, in Indian elderly's, and, you know, she doesn't talk the language, uh, the local, it's not her group, age group, you know, group age, uh, culture, everything. And she said, any movement I have to do, I have to call a taxi and do it and check. This is, this is what I'm doing right now. You know? Anyway, it finished. Now I talked to her and she's like, hey, I know I said I would never ever move back to Germany and I moved away 20 years ago, but guess what? I'm in Berlin. And <laughs> we're Skyping and she's showing me her little room. <laughs> and there's this bed that is like, kind of di like this. And she has this little room with a window. She's like, this is where I live now. And uh, this is my bed. I'm like, oh, that... Yeah, so you decided must it's cold, no? You have <laughs> California, 20 years of California and south of India. It's like, yeah, but, you know, it seems like it's the appropriate thing to, to do. Like, I stayed around, I looked what I would do, and then there was this sense, like, I have to do something meaningful, and meaning for me will be in, uh, in Berlin, you know. Or in so I'm just following this. And uh, I'm saying this because uh, what do I want to say about this is uh, I love her kind of integrity. She, she doesn't have a defined, like she has a plan, but she's w willing to let it go. And she, if you know, if you knew her, she's not like all over the place at all. She has some of that, uh, maybe what we would attribute, I don't know if I'm 
it's okay to do that, but there's something very German about her, like she's organized, you know, and there's, uh, there's something, and she has, you know, and, uh, but she, uh, and I'm like, oh, what are you going to do? And she said, well, right now I'm just like uh, getting my health insurance and my identity papers, and so I'm just going through the motion, you know, and, and this is my bed, <laughs> this thing, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, this is how it is right now. And I'm really, she, she, I don't know if she said it, but she looked really into her life, you know, not trying to organize her life, but listening to her life. Mm-hmm. And there was something, and she said, oh, I contacted some of my old students or clients, you know, and mm-hmm. we're Skyping together. And she said, it's so different for me because, I, because of my training in psychology, I used to see them through kind of pathology, you know, and... Uh, neurosis and this and that she said now I really see them as whole and complete and the basis of our conversation are so different because it's whole and complete and yeah it might be messy and everything but like the view is very different and uh, I'm relating all these things that I'm talking about together I don't know if you are but to me they're, I'm talking about the same thing the capacity to meet life the uncertainty, either it falls upon you because suddenly this ease or something, or it seems like it's a call or there's some direction it seems that you're invited to go. And uh, the, actually the courage to listen to that. I mean, there's plenty of stories in this room just here of these sorts, you know. And um, Earthen Manuel tells this story and it, she said she borrowed it I think from Muji mm-hmm. some of you might know you can watch Muji uh, on YouTube I mean you can go and sit with Muji I think he lives in Portugal now but um, she tells this story that I thought was very intriguing are you interested in storytelling? Mm-hmm. I mean that's what it is anyway <laughs> up to now but um, so this story is um, so there's a king and the king probably, as we know how kingdom works, is, th- is passed on. It's a privileged story. You know? So probably there was a king who had the young prince who gave him the kingdom. Anyway, so this king is a king and knows the moves of the king, knows how, what kings eat and how they dress or who dresses them <laughs> and, you know, and does kingly things and has kingly thoughts you know, and, and uh, you know, the whole inner outer king, kingship and uh, one day there's a knock at the door of the palace and uh, so goes the um, goes Mr. Uh, what's his name, Mr. Carson I'm in my own world here. (laughs) Maybe I'm not alone. (laughs) (laughs) If you have ever watched uh, Downton Abbey, the the man who goes to open the door. (laughs) So, and many other things, but uh, that's part of his function. And so, uh, and so the door, he opens the door, this, uh, this uh, butler. And uh, there stands a naked man with a stick. And you could imagine maybe it's a sadhu or, well, it depends where the story is happening, you know. But the, 
all the same, there's a naked person there, and the, the person says, I want to uh, talk to the king. And the butler is a little surprised and says, oh, just one moment, and runs to the king and says, there's, there's, there's a naked man there who wants to talk to you. And the king said, oh, yeah, he wants to talk to me? Who do you think he is? Did, or who is he? But, you know, is he, is he one of my uh, ministers, you know? And so, I'll go, oh, I'll go check. The butler goes and says, who, who are you? Are you one of the king's ministers? And the naked uh, being says, uh, mm. no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm above that. I'm way, I'm way more than that. And the butler goes back and says, no, he's not your minister. Apparently, he's a lot more than that. He's above that. Says, oh, my God, is he on one of my advisors? Apparently, advisor is above minister. So the butler goes back. Well, are you one of the advisors of the king? And he's like, no, I'm not, the advisor. I'm not an advisor. I'm much more than that much more than that. Runs back, he's not one of your advisors, well, he's in one of my counselors, apparently. That's the story as I heard it. So he goes back, uh, you the counselor? No, I'm not the counselor, I'm way more than that. Goes butler goes back, he's not a counselor, well, is he, uh, is he a prophet? You know, naked man with a stick, is he a prophet? The butler goes back, are you a prophet? No, I'm not a prophet, I'm way more than that goes back to the king. He's not a prophet. It's way more than that. The king's like, oh, God, my God. Well, is he God? Ask him. He's like, am I going to ask him that? Yeah, ask him. And he goes back. I says, I'm sorry to ask you, sir. Are you, <laughs> are you God? And the, the, the man says, no, I'm not God. I'm way more than that. Way more than that. And the butler goes back and says, apparently he's way more than God. And the king says, oh, my God, I have to meet him. I have to meet him. And uh, the story, that's the exact story, how it goes, is the king goes to the door, sees the naked man, and, uh, and as he sees him, and he understands that he, he doesn't know, he doesn't know, like he cannot even conceive of something bigger than God, or something above, he, he doesn't know. So he, f he realizes in that that there's something profound, the beyond conception, the beyond what was planned, organized, uh, you know, the, he falls on his knees, the, the king, and says, I don't even want to know who you are, I'm going to follow you, just tell me, you know, that you just taught me something. You know? And so, then there's this question that, you know, How can you know the path you on? You know, how can you know the path you're on? How can you know this life that is unfolding that you haven't met yet? How do you know that? It's a real question. How do you know that? And it sounds like a koan, no? like an old, deep, ancient question that one has to live, live it you know, to find the answer. It's not going to be answered with words, but how do you know the path? And I'm returning to uh, Earthlin uh, Zen Jew, Earthlin Manuel. In her talk, she talks about, you know, we might learn about Buddhism, for example, as a path. I know the path, the Buddhist path. It's an eightfold path, you know, and there's all these limbs or whatever, folds. 
And uh, then you hear about right speech, right speech. And uh, you try to apply it, you know, kind of put, put it on top of your life, right speech, you know, not the harsh piece, not uh, lying, uh, kind speech, honest speech, not divisive speech or slanderous, or, but uh, speech that creates bond, <coughs> healing, etc. And you, you try to do it, and it's really hard. But then the path is that one day, because you say something that triggers something that has an impact, you know, suddenly you learn from the inside. The path is revealed from the inside and from the falling in the ditch. You know, and this is the path. It's not the path that you had envisioned. Oh, the Eightfold Path is like this, and you talk like this, and you, you know. The path is, is your life, is your life. It's, uh, and it includes the things that we work so hard to avoid, you know, that we fear so much. This is where the, a lot of the things will bloom in there. And so how I hear it is almost as an invitation to, hey, Pascal, can you relax into that bit that you tense around, just thinking about it, talking about it, or, or you know, anticipating it? Yeah. For me, uh, I sit this week very well because I'm leaving, um, in a way I'm leaving tomorrow for five weeks of teaching, and a lot of this was planned last year, and it maybe two years ago, and I said yes to a lot of things, and now that it's coming closer, I'm like, oh my God, you know this, it's five weeks of intense, you know, and my body's contracting, like, uh, like I started this week, you know, the trip is coming, and my body's contracting, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, it's really interesting practice for me, because I actually don't know, I know I have an idea, you know, but it's nothing else than an idea at this point. You know, it might reveal that it was exactly the right idea that I had, <laughs> you know. But it actually, I've seen it so many times that it might reveal not being this at all, you know. But still, the body has its own lot somehow, you know. Like, even if I talk to it, it's still like, it's like, yeah, we're starting this five weeks of, <laughs> you know, work, you know, intense work. And... Uh, and so my practice then is to allow it to do that, you know, to not give in, not try to organize and, you know, I have to make sure and people shouldn't talk to me in the evening and whatever, you know, I could come up with ideas to try to protect, but just, wow, look at that, the body tense, it's scared, it's scared of what's coming. And so um, the beautiful part of this is that instead of fighting against it, which usually I would have said either follow it, be entranced by it, it's true, it's going to be hell, you know, or uh, try to coach myself, like, let go, let go, you don't know, you know. Now I'm just noticing the body tenses, it means that psyche is tensing also, you know, of course. And, uh, and what it seems to give uh, rise to is tenderness. It's like, oh, Pascal, it's not even started, you're already paying, the, you know, you're <laughs> like, amazing how the mind is, it will suffer in anticipation, you know, how unwise it is. But, you know, that's what it does right now. So the wise response seems to be very tender with this, like, oh, 
there's a lot of fear in this body. There's fear that it's not going to go well, you know. And but I can skip the organizing and managing. I can just attend, attend, you know. And so it's not that we don't organize and strategize and try to control anymore, you know. But maybe we do it sparingly. Is that the word? Sparingly, you know, not obsessively. I don't know. Is there a place where it could apply in your life? Where they could be like, okay, let's relax into this, you know, conflictual relationship, into this unknown of what's coming with, I don't know, the living situation, or, or I don't know, what else? There's so many uncertainties. It's all uncertain, you know. And sometimes it's really revealed clearly to us. Hmm. Anything you have to say or question or so the practice of um, allowing life to be uh, just as it is, beautiful, without wanting to that's the tendencies. Beautiful, we want to make sure it's going to stay beautiful. So we have a problem with beautiful. You know. Can we just allow beauty to pass through? You know? And the same thing with the others, with the difficulties. Is it possible to relax a little bit? Oh, it's not happening as I wanted. Wow. <coughs> Can that be okay? So allowing things to wash through or to visit or to uh, I think also it's the field of maybe we'll finish with this, it's the field of uh, something about creativity in there, the not knowing. You know, the not being certain, <coughs> being uncertain. So this, you know, in the vein of the same story about uh, the king doing kingly <coughs> things and then hearing about something that is beyond conception and deciding to follow it, you know. Uh, it's in a way that is really uh, another shape that it could take, another model or just... Un- unfolding expression of this is uh, Bernie Glassman. I don't know if you know this Zen teacher, Bernie Glassman. So I'll tell my s- the story as I understand it. So it's again storytelling maybe. But uh, So Bernie Glassman had that, I think, that kind of koan of question. How do you go beyond uh, that Zen koan is something like, how do you go beyond above a 100-feet pole. How do you go higher than a 100-feet pole? So that same kind of question, how do you go beyond what you know, beyond what you think is possible, or, or beyond what you are able to conceive or organize? You know? And so he started, uh, he was doing retreats, uh, sitting zazen, you know, doing retreats, and he started doing retreats with uh, homeless people in the street, 
So the way the retreat B was used to, I can imagine if it's me, I would be used to go to retreat centers in silence and s- stay there for four, five, seven days or more. And uh, maybe he was used to something like this. And then he started doing street retreats. And so you would go, if you volunteer or sign up for the retreat, you would show up, give up your wallet and maybe identity cards and be given a few cardboards. And, uh, et voila, you know, let's check in maybe every day to see how this, how the retreat is unfolding, you know. Starting doing this. So for four or five days, you would live in the street. And uh, I don't know if we would do this in Quebec at this time of year, but maybe in the early fall. And uh, how this opened the heart, opened the mind to... uh, and you know, that was while he was living with that koan. I made this. I, I made this gesture because often the koan I think is hidden in this uh, piece of material that you see in the Zen practice. There's a square here that they they wear the square here. Sometimes that question is embroidered maybe here. That's what I've heard. I don't know. Storytelling again, if it's useful, you know, to elicit something. And so, and then he started the bakeries a bakery with uh, homeless people, giving them work. And then he wanted them to have housing to be well. And then at some point, uh, why would they have ordinary housing? Why wouldn't they have design, architectural, amazing places? You know, like, you know, and then suddenly he went for that, you know. And now, uh, I don't know, what's his life now? I think he's been sick in the last years. I'm not sure about that, but I know that he's also started the the witnessing uh, retreat there's another name maybe for it but you might have heard that people go for maybe a week or so in a, in a concentration camp in Poland and they sit there that's where they do their sitting because they want to witness they want to be there to be to not turn away you know to actually consider feel you know and uh, they do this also with uh, on the Native land, you know, Indian land, on the, uh, with uh, First Nations, you know, they go and they sit. And they say, "We'll sit, we'll sit with you and hear your stories if you have some, and we'll just we'll bear witness." You know, and wow, that is like the story of the king. You know, it's like wow, let's go beyond what we think is possible. Um, and so these are like grandiose, like the story I tell you about my friend moving to India and uh, things like this. But uh, for me, there's a practice of this that is very daily base, based, you know, because I can go teach a class as I, in a habitual way, you know. I can do things in the house in a habitual way, you know. And I notice the quality of my life if I let go of certainty and I actually tune in to the body walking, and suddenly I'm there and the cold is revealed or the crunchiness of the snow or the, you know, something becomes alive that I couldn't feel before when I was organizing my day, managing my day, accomplishing things on the list. You know? A few weeks ago I was talking about um, Christiane Saint-Gerre, no? And uh, saying one of the things I heard her say that was very beautiful, she said, I cannot eva- imagine something worse for a human being than getting used to 
being a human being. To me, that's kind of the essence of this practice. We sit here and we discover, what is it to be me? What is it to be a human being right now? What is it to be sensitive, conscious being? Not knowing, not knowing is excellent. Shall we sit a little bit? Yes. Of who? Of the book. Of, uh, of uh, Zen, Zenju is um, uh, uh, the way of tenderness. Yeah. And in the introduction, she talks about complete tenderness, which really, I had a big hit when I read this, like complete tenderness, like as a koan for me. Like, what would complete tenderness be, Pascal, in this moment of frustration, you know, in this moment of uh, not getting what you want, you know, or failing in some ways, of perceiving failure? What would be the way of complete tenderness? Let's uh, sit for a few moments.
You might notice how it's easy to be awake to what's happening. You might also notice how it's as easy to not be awake, to be lost, gone, caught, entranced, fascinated, obsessed. Every moment is a possibility to wake up. what's happening with the mind. It's wake up to life happening through the senses.
you want to, as uh, we finish a little exercise for a couple of minutes here, if you want to think uh, voluntarily, uh, intentionally, this uh, sentence or a similar sentence, uh, I am sitting here meditating. Think that if you want to, just a few times. Feel that. sitting here meditating just drop the meditating and just say I'm sitting here a few times and feel feel that drop the sitting here and keep just the two first words I am I am see if it feels right good description of what's happening You want to drop the verb and keep just the first uh, the pronoun subject. If you feel like it, drop that word. Thank you so much for your consideration. I hope there was something in there that will open up the, the day or the week and the exploration of life. Okay, thank you very much, and I'll uh, see you in um, at, at the end of that <laughs> <laughs> of that thing, whatever that will be I'll tell you all the funny things about it how it was not at all <laughs> how I made it <laughs> ay, ay, ay.